It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Just talk yourself up and tear yourself down. You've hit your one wall. Now find a way around. Well, what's the problem? You got a new episode of Columbia House Party. Jake, what's up, man? Not much. How are you doing on this cold, uh, not dating ourselves month day of the year? Yeah, careful right out of the gate. (laughs) Um, Jake and I had a big bonding day today where... Uh, we got in an argument with a guy in my mentions about defunding the police or, or reimagining police budgets. So that was great. Uh, brought us even closer together. We haven't been able to go to a concert together in over a year. So uh, we now just have to <laughs> fight fascists on Twitter. together. <laughs> really our fault for engaging in that one, I think. Yes. It's um, on us. Sorry to. No, not sorry. If you're that guy listening, get out of here. We, yeah, we need sorry. listeners and we need Patreon supporters. But we don't need you. <laughs> sorry buddy. to anyone who follows both of us and had to see those messages on their feed. That's okay. Uh, this is Columbia House Party. Thank you so much for, for listening and coming along. And welcome if you're new. Thank you especially to our Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash Columbia House Party over in the Discord that comes with your Patreon membership. Uh, go join those people if you're so inclined. Uh, Jake, we have a, a fun one today. We talked about you know our concert history and us bonding jokingly. Uh, this is one that made, if you go back to... Clay's office when we first pitched this. This was on the whiteboard. This was one of maybe like six or seven, we'll mm-hmm. call them whiteboard albums when we first pitched this show and brainstormed. Uh, but we wanted to wait and make sure we got the right timing and the right guest. And I think those things have all lined up now. Yeah, I want to say that outside of like bands like Blink or like maybe even just Blink, I feel like th- this might have even been the first band you suggested. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we locked in MCR and Follow Boy pretty early too. But yeah, but it, we're in that we're in that that stature stratosphere though. Uh, today, Jake, we're talking about one of the most influential pop punk acts of the post Blink boom on the scene, a band that created new space for a wider audience of fans and a wider supply of artists in the genre for over a decade to come. Uh, with a singer who had to push through a lot of industry and scene nonsense to become uh, the major pop punk success that they were. Today, we're talking about the sophomore album from Paramore, Riot.
That song is called That's What You Get. And what you get, listeners, is uh, a wonderful guest today. We'd like to welcome Christina Squires on. Christina, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. Really excited. Um, Christina, for anyone who doesn't know, first of all, you can follow her at Floozy Esquire on Twitter, which is a uh, terrific handle. (laughs) Um, She's also the co-host of the Puck Bunnies podcast, uh, a great hockey podcast, um, especially if you are like me and don't want to get bogged down in the... You know, yeah, basically what facts. I'm trying to say without without offending my <laughs> friends in hockey media, what I'm trying to say is that Puck Bunnies is more fun and more accessible <laughs> for a casual fan. No disrespect to those other guys, you know? Yeah, we don't we don't uh, we try to keep it a little bit more surface level because both of us are pretty shallow. So, yeah, I mean, look, I need <laughs> I know to know that feeling. Yeah, I need to know <laughs> that Chris Kreider is hot um, in case I hadn't seen a, a game in a while. And I need to know what to do with my Tony D'Angelo feelings and you guys are where I go for that. But, but also like, I don't, I don't mean to undersell the, um, the analysis side because you are like the foremost voice on how teams should play four forwards and one defenseman more often. I know I really am. Uh, I'm proud to take that mantle and I'm proud to use any hockey knowledge that I have, uh, for this episode, which I do not think that I will be able to. That's okay. <laughs> What's important is that you are an offensive hockey strategy tastemaker and a, a great music taste haver. Um, and that's why we brought you on. Uh, as mentioned, we originally viewed this as kind of a pillar episode, talking about Paramore's Riot, uh, but we wanted to get the guests and timing right. Uh, and we wanted to make sure that I would be sufficiently roasted uh, as I bring out my notebook with Haley's name scribbled all over it. And <laughs> I figured, you know, we've had some guests who come on it and roast Jake or myself in the past, but uh, Christina... I feel like you're the best suited to uh, just, you know, really shrink me down and, and give it to me here. I'm sharpening my claws as we speak. Perfect. I'm excited for this one. I just get to, I don't, I don't need to get the brunt of this one this time. This is nice. Yeah. I mean, you don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's I gave true. Christina the thumbs up to uh, let you have it too. So if there's anything that's very easy to do, it is make fun of me. Yeah, as that guy on Twitter today figured <laughs> out. So, Jake, I don't know if you know this, actually, but when you first pitched me the idea of this podcast and we were kind of trying to frame what it would be and tweak around the edges, uh, Christina was actually someone that I, I threw the idea by and, like, bounced a lot of ideas off of. Uh, so, listeners, if you enjoy the podcast, which if you're still hate listening, uh, you have an issue. Um, so, you probably like this podcast. You have Christina to thank. She really helped shape this uh, so, Christina, thank you, first of all. Oh, I'm bowing. <laughs> oh, nice. And I know that, you know, the the implicit agreement when you, you helped me out with that was that you would eventually get to do the national episode. Uh, but we figured we would wait until one of the three of us get divorced for that one. <laughs> you know, that's fair. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working on my first one. So, you know, I guess it's going to be up to you guys for that. That's yeah, fair. I don't, uh, I mean, I don't even have... Well, we won't get into the personal stuff. I'm far from a divorce. Lauren has already said on this show that I have divorced energy. So No, she said you have divorced Ooh. Seth Cohen energy. That's true. That's uh, like a compliment, though. It's not. It's so not. It, it might sound like a compliment. She did not mean it like a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> so, Christina, um, we will eventually bring you on. Uh, to do the national, of course. But Paramore was another artist you were excited to maybe come on and do. Uh, So I guess to start off, why Paramore for you? Well, I think Paramore is just like, it's coming off of that Blink-182 run of just very powerful crossover sort of pop punk music that I think brought a ton of people into the scene. So I think this is the album, like, so, so I mean, to date myself a little bit, whenever this album came out, I was in eighth grade. So it was obviously a huge entry point for me into the whole genre. You know, back whenever I was in eighth grade, there wasn't Spotify or anything like we had to come to things from the radio. And uh, I remember Misery Business being on the radio and being like, wow, what is that? And (laughs) so (laughs) it's just the perfect uh, sort of segue entry point, I think, for a whole different kind of music. For sure. And, you know, this is uh, I'm a little bit older than you. So when they came around, it was kind of I was in my peak warp tour uh, years. And oh, we're going to talk yes. about warp tour and the role warped played uh, and sheer girl and um, everything like that in, in Paramore's kind of story and the impact that they had. For me, this was kind of odd because I, I had 
not a blockage, but I, I didn't like a lot of um, bands with female singers uh, in high school and, and even within the pop punk scene. There were the odd exceptions like Avril and Evanescence, uh, but Paramore was like the one band with a, a female front person that I was really, really into. I would also probably say that Haley was the first person I was like ever unrequited uh, in love with. Not unrequited, <laughs> in, not the first person I was ever unrequited in love with, but like never had any chance of meeting. Whereas now the only people I fall in love with are like online strangers that I'll never actually meet in person. Uh, that was the first of one of those uh, for me. Maybe there's still hope. You never know. Yeah, this is the that Twitter reply. She's not gonna. She's not gonna go out with you, bro. <laughs> Haley yeah. Williams, um, come on, CHP challenge. Yeah, I don't think so, but maybe. <laughs> so Paramore have long been uh, a favorite act of mine, and even into their sound change and, and Haley solo stuff, which we'll talk a little bit about at the end. Uh, the other summer, I got to take my my baby brother, who has adopted a lot of my music tastes, uh, to see the After Laughter tour, um, Paramore with Soccer Mommy at the Amphitheater in Toronto, which was uh, awesome and one of my favorite recent concert memories. Uh, Jake, you have far fewer attachments to this album than Christina and I. Yeah, I, uh, I thought going into prepping this episode and really every conversation you and I have ever had about Paramore, that they were a band that I didn't listen to kind of like you. I was a stupid idiot in high school who also didn't listen to a lot of female fronted music, but in retrospect and kind of doing research and the timing for them, I think I just missed them because like they're, I thought this album came out in like 2004, 2005, but if they started then I was kind of already in my, I'm too cool for pop punk phase at that point. So I think I just ended up missing this band entirely and kind of discounting them similarly that I did to a lot of bands in this kind of scene other than My Chemical Romance at this age. So you just walked right by that pig stage at Warp Tour. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. And I You're just like, this didn't. This is just not for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it was men. It, was, it wasn't even like it wasn't for me. It was just like, ugh, this isn't punk because I was a loser. And then I've heard songs of theirs over the years, knowing it was them, and also a few that I realized listening to this this week that I didn't know was them. And so I, this is kind of one of those episodes which we've done a couple times of me coming into an album with completely fresh ears. And I was surprised at how much I liked it. Yeah. Jake walking past the uh, the stage that has Paramore and Joan Jett <laughs> saying that's not punk as he goes to watch the Aquabats is... Well, uh, <laughs> look, I'm not going to sit here and take Aquabats slander. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm over at the Academy Is performance and... Uh, <laughs> as long as no one's at 303. I ugh. actually didn't go to a concert until I was in, until I was in college. So I was actually not at Warp Tour at all. So you guys are both still cooler than I am. Well, <laughs> debatable. <laughs> I don't know if that's what counts it, but thank you. Yeah. I mean, maybe going to Warp Tour gets you cool points, but I literally lost the LeBray piercing in the pit at Warp Tour, which is, uh, <laughs> I think oh I, I, you lose all the points. Your points reset to zero. That's the, the bankrupt square of Warp Tour coolness. <laughs> um, we're going to talk a little bit more about Warp Tour. We're going to talk about Paramore's Riot after this. It's true that some things change as we get older, but if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at Midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause, and Midi can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's join M-I-D-I dot com. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so a little bit of quick background on the band here. Uh, Jake, like you, Haley was a child star. Uh, <laughs> she was, of course, <laughs> only uh, at 13 totally years old. Her worked family. out the same for us, I can say. Yes. So at 13, Haley's family moved from Mississippi to Tennessee. Uh, she met the Farrow brothers at a supplemental program for homeschooled kids. Uh, she took vocal lessons from Brett Manning, who has worked with Taylor Swift and Poppy and Miley Cyrus. And then Haley, uh, Jeremy Davis and another friend had a funk cover band on the side. So all of these things kind of blend together and eventually those different projects um, merge into what would be Paramore, but not before Haley was signed by Atlantic as a solo act. Uh, they tried to package her as a pop singer, but as told by A&R Steve Robertson, uh, Haley wanted to be a rock band and write their own songs and, and kind of resisted the move to being top 40. Uh, so in 2004, they officially formed as Paramore. Haley was 16. Uh, the Farrell brothers were 12 and 15. Um, Davis uh, was in and out of the band. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it's like basically like it, the band would have looked like Hanson at this point. Yeah, 12, 15, and 16. Uh, and then Jeremy Davis, who was a little older, um, actually left at one point because he didn't think, like he basically thought the band was too young uh, to be a serious thing. And then he'd later rejoin and leave again and rejoin and leave again a bunch of times, uh, which is kind of a Columbia House Party special on some of these episodes. <laughs> Uh, so at that point, Atlantic didn't want them on a major label once they, you know, once they heard what the Paramore sound would be. So instead, All We Know Is Falling, their first album in 2005, was released on Fueled by Ramen, even though they were signed to Atlantic. Uh, in the summer of 05, they had a little bit of a breakthrough with Pressure Out as a single. And then their first song that I remember hearing, uh, Emergency, which came out in the fall of 05. So that terrific song, Emergency, was once again performed by a 12, 15, and 16-year-old, a 12-year-old <laughs> on the drums. Uh, while we had a little tech issue, we were um, talking about what we were all doing at 12 and what we thought was impressive. Uh, Christina, do you want to share again so that the people can hear it? Oh, well, uh, very impressed by myself that I could read and listen to music at the same time. So it's a little bit uh, less drumming in a very popular song, but... Jake, what were you doing at age 12? You weren't doing anything much, right? <laughs> uh, I was uh, starting a TV show. And my tip for people entering media at age 12 is don't. 
yeah, well, uh, Paramore had their problems over time as well. Um, I don't know if that was the 12 year old member or, or the 15 year old <laughs> member. Uh, surely the 15 year old was just way more ready for uh, massive success right out of the gate. Haley at 16 was, I guess, I don't know. They kept going along pretty, pretty strong coming off of pressure and emergency. Uh, and just as importantly, the iconic Red Couch album cover for that album, which I don't know. I didn't when I went back and listened to it and prep for this episode, I didn't know uh, all we know is falling quite as well as I as I would have thought, given that that album cover holds a place in my head. Uh, the album cover, by the way, the shadow walking away is intended to be Jeremy Davis, who was leaving the band at the time, which is ooh, very mm. cool. Subtweety. Uh, Christina, were you were you into Paramore at all? We know is falling time or, or was it more when Riot came and was just such a massive uh, success. Oh, it was more when Riot came out. In 2005, I was like extremely in, in middle school and uh, <laughs> sort of <I'm laughs> subject. <sold. laughs> yeah, sort of subject to the whims of whatever was playing on the radio a little bit more. So, yeah, I, I wasn't super into them then. Um, so. All right. Well, for people who were a little older, uh, they did pick up some steam. They did their first Warp Tour appearance that summer in 2005. Uh, it was their first of five in a row and six overall. Uh, the Warp Tour scene has a lot of problems looking back on it, and a lot of things have come out since. Um, but at the moment, it was a pretty big deal for Paramore to get that spot. Um, as Jessica Hopper wrote in her book, The First Collection of Criticism by a Living Female Rock Critic, uh, in an essay titled Where the Girls Aren't, which was originally posted on Punk Planet back in 2003, which of course is pre-Paramore, she kind of goes into how this scene had not just a sexism problem, but but a pretty a sexism problem that it was exacerbated by the lack of representation. Enter Shira Yevin, who worked the 2003 Warp Tour and disliked the lack of uh, female performances, and she pushed for her own stage, the Sheer Girl stage. If you've ever been to a Warp Tour, you surely remember the bright pink, loud stage of, of primarily female-fronted bands. Uh, over 200 female-fronted bands ended up playing that stage uh, over time, including... Paramore on this very first tour. Uh, as Shira told Hello Giggles, first of all, some people said that over the years you could see more women getting onto other stages, bigger stages, main stages, such as Paramore. We're definitely really proud of being part of that history and that story. Paramore is a huge runaway success. So I think when people recognize that, I don't take credit for their success, but when people come to me and say, you really made a difference, it makes me feel good to know that we made an impact. Um, so I guess, Christina, for you, we, we can reframe this question as more 2007 to, to 2013 era Paramore instead of 2005. But for you, your Paramore fandom, was was there an element of, hey, there's female representation in this scene and, and this this type of music isn't just for boys? Yeah, you know, I, I still remember the exact moment whenever I heard my first Paramore song. It was on uh, a friend's Neopets, like, website. <laughs> like, you could, you could have, like, MP3s basically play on your Neopets homepage. And so I heard Misery Business there, and it was just like nothing that I had ever heard before. And it sounded like Blink-182, but it sounded like there was a girl singing it. And at that point, you know... I hadn't really gotten into punkier stuff other than like, you know, sometimes you would hear Ashley Simpson on the radio and that was sort of the spectrum or Avril Lavigne. But it was definitely something that sounded like it was written by a, a teenage girl, which I found very appealing, uh, but also delivered with a sort of energy that I hadn't heard before. And it was really exciting to hear a, a sort of a girl sing like that. And that was where a lot of the media attention coming out of All We Know Is Falling tended to focus on. Uh, Haley took issue a little bit with places like Kerrang! focusing on her more than the group. Um, going back to, you know, when she first signed to Atlantic, she wanted to be a part of a rock band, not this solo act. Coming out of this album, there was a bit of turnover. We could go into a lot of the turnover of Paramore over the years. We won't just because it gets kind of messy and, you know, some of the reasons, well, I'll just say Josh Farrow is no longer in the band, uh, allegedly due to his views on the LGBTQ community and Haley kind of ethering him in Twitter posts uh, when it kind of came out. And she was like, yeah, there's a reason that, uh, you know, some people aren't in the band anymore. And I am and they've had no success since, um, which 
Good, good for you. Um, so the current iteration is Haley, Taylor York, and Zach Farrell. Uh, the iteration for uh, the Riot era was Haley, both Farrows, uh, Jeremy Davis, and Taylor York. Um, so a lot of people contributing at this time as well. Hunter Lamb took over some of the duties as well on guitar and backing vocals. So uh, there was just a lot going on with the band's personnel that we'll just gloss over. So <laughs> they are a pretty strong success off their first album. And then heading into their follow-up, they recorded by a lot of producers. Uh, they opted for David Bendith and a hand from Dan Corneff. Um, Fuel by Ramen, again, was going to release the second album, Riot. Uh, as Haley explained at the title, Riot literally means an unbridled outburst of emotions. When we were writing, it seemed like our thoughts and emotions were coming out so fast that we couldn't control them. There was a riot within us. So the album takes our passion to a new level. Uh, not only did she explain it like that, uh, you get that cool moment on every album when the title is mentioned in a song. Uh, we played That's What You Get off the top, and it has the lyrics, This heart will start a riot in me. Let's start, start. Um, so anytime you can do that and be like, hey, they said the name of the movie in the movie uh, <laughs> is a good moment. Uh, on top of which, before we get into some of the, the bigger songs, the once again, a pretty iconic album cover uh, for Riot here. Jake, is that something that like like I know you didn't listen to much Paramore, but like how aware of you uh, of Paramore were you and, and their kind of popularity and imprint on the scene? I was definitely aware they existed. Um, and like, I knew the name and, and I knew about, I guess, sort of through those press appearances that she wasn't a fan of, I knew who Haley Williams was, but that was kind of it. And it's funny you mentioned like the album cover that is very recognizable to me. And I actually thought, as I said earlier, I have the timeline of Paramore completely backwards, but I knew that you are a big fan of after laughter and like some of the later poppier stuff. And I thought that the riot cover was one of those albums. And I didn't realize that the riot cover was like the misery business album, but like I was definitely aware of them. I didn't know any of their songs, but I knew that they were like the female pop punk thing. But I think I did like unfairly and incorrectly with not hearing any of their music lump them closer to like, the Avril thing than the like even blink thing. Well, you weren't alone in that Jake, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but I'm going to call bullshit on you not hearing them because everyone knew misery business and any Paramore discussion, uh, especially riot era Paramore has to uh, have a healthy discussion of Ms. Biz, their most popular, iconic, and more recently controversial song. It was the lead single. It was award nominated. You know it. This is Misery Business. While that clip was playing i my head was just bobbing like un like you just can't <laughs> you can't not like jam to that song yeah of course and then you also get the um like if we could do the slow motion movie camera inside your brain where like every synapse is firing getting the lyrics ready exactly exactly <laughs> i'm like ready to go yeah so i guess the first thing that we have to talk about about that song is that it rules. It's just a really good song. And obviously it was, again, the lead single, their most popular single. Christine, I, I would imagine that was kind of your introduction to Paramore. Oh, yeah. This was the song I heard on Neopets. And I was just like, I got to hear right. more of this. Did not think about the lyrics at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's let's talk about that, because I think it does need to be unpacked a little bit. And we do this with some of the bands that 
we've talked about in, in the way some of the lyrics that don't hold up, especially in the pop punk and emo scene with some of the underlying misogyny going on. This song, Misery Business, is a song about dealing with unrequited love as a teen and seeing someone you long for with someone else and kind of biding your time. It's a pretty standard story in the genre, but in the case of Misery Business... Haley is directing some what she later felt was undue anger at the other woman who has done nothing wrong. Uh, it's just you're the person you have a crush on's girlfriend. Haley even uses the word whore to uh, describe the other woman. Haley was iffy about this as far back as when they were writing the song. Her producer, David Bendith, she said, this just isn't me. And then they had a back and forth. This was was uh, Bendith uh, explaining this to Billboard, how he kind of had to coax the line out of her because she did write it, but she didn't feel um, right singing it. Now, as she told uh, Track 7 in 2017, as someone who, who believes themselves to be a feminist with the benefit of adulthood and perspective, uh, she said, it literally came from a page in my diary. What I couldn't have known at the time was that I was feeding into a lie that I'd bought into, just like so many other teenagers and many adults before me. The whole I'm not like other girls thing, this cool girl religion. What even is that? Who are the gatekeepers of cool anyway? Little did she know it was Jake. Um, are they all men? <laughs> are they women that we've put up on top of an unreachable pedestal? The problem with the lyrics is not that I had an issue with someone I went to school with. That's just high school and friendships and breakups. It's the way I tried to call her out using words that didn't belong in the conversation. It's the fact that the story was set up inside the context of a competition that didn't exist over some fantasy romance. Um, so... A little bit to unpack there, but but Christina, first, I guess, just as an adult woman who loved that song, do you, do you have any thoughts on kind of how the lyrics feel now or Haley's own changing perspective on it? Well, you know, like as an adult, I can still say the song bangs. You know what I mean? I know she doesn't she doesn't play it anymore. <laughs> I do. Uh, it's great. But, you know, I'm reading these lyrics as an adult and I'm just thinking about like an eighth grade version of myself reading these and internalizing this and especially with all the other music that was happening at the time you know the, what's unique about this song is that she's singing the same sort of misogyny that a lot of the other boy bands at the time were also peddling so she was really trying to you know have it both ways and so that's why I find her sort of her heel turn in later years about the song so empowering because I think she was obviously not comfortable with the song when it came out but now she seems to be in a place where she can say, like, this was obviously something very personal and I didn't mean for it to reflect a larger culture, which it unfortunately exists in. Yeah, I think that I think that makes sense. And, you know, it's not something that I think none of us as like teens or early 20s even, you know, this has come up a bunch when we talk about Dashboard Confessional or Taking Back Sunday or whoever. Right. Um, you don't you're not really like conscious of how that can kind of like that perspective gets normalized. Right. And you know, I do think the misogyny layer here is important because I don't think there are very many instances where like you have like dudes projecting this kind of anger and hate at other dudes uh, necessarily. If anything, it, like that would be directed at the woman in, in, in the kind of love triangle or, or whatever. So as you mentioned, Christina, they do not perform this anymore. Uh, it used to be a live show staple. They would always bring a random fan up on stage to sing Misery Business, uh, including my pal from NBA Twitter, Marco Romo, who got to do it once. I uh, <laughs> posted the video of it, which seemed like just the most fun in the world. But they decided to no longer um, perform it live. And again, as Haley wrote on her Tumblr in 2015, which I didn't realize people still used in 2015. Uh, Ms. Biz is not a set of lyrics that I relate to as a 26-year-old woman. I haven't related to it in a very long time. Jake, we've talked before about bands that go away from songs that have questionable lyrics, like uh, when Hanif was on and we, and we talked about The Descendants and some of the songs they don't play anymore. Um, do you have any thoughts at all on, on Ms. Biz and their decision to, to kind of axe it from uh, the rotation altogether versus tweaking it versus just, you know, continuing to play it with the, with the benefit of a new perspective? Uh, where do you land on that? Yeah, I think a couple things. I think one, if the band and, or artist themselves is uncomfortable with a song that they wrote, whatever it is now, 15 years ago, then it is entirely their choice whether to play it or not. I also think like good for Haley Williams for sort of reflecting on this and recognizing it, especially in a scene where like, I feel like a lot of the, not, not every band and, but like a lot, I'm thinking specifically of Blink-182 right now, but they're not the only band like this. But I think like 
they're so big and they're big, massive songs that sort of have lyrics that could be construed as misogynistic or are just directly misogynistic kind of don't belong to them anymore because they're so big. They're just like accepted. And I'm not saying this is a good thing, but like you and I went to see blink what four years ago now. And like everyone is like listening to 44 year old Matt Skiba singing. I need a girl that I can train. And it's like, (laughs) we, there's this sort of, I want to say like gap now that like we know, or we think, I guess we don't know that like Skiba is not, obviously he didn't write it, but like even Tom DeLonge is not like thinking that right now. And whether they, he was for real or it was tongue in cheek at the time it was written, I have no idea. But I do think that male artists have been able to sort of create that sort of cognitive distance about it. And now they don't have to think about it and no one has to think about it because we've all just like accepted. It's like a funny blink song from enema or whatever. And then like you have people like Haley Williams who are really like reflecting and putting really like interesting thoughts and reevaluations on her own career and her own work. And I think it's so much more impactful and interesting from like a personal and an artistic perspective to be able to look at your most popular song and just be like, nah, like this isn't me anymore. And I think that's great. And I think that that kind of recognition is important in the pop punk scene, especially the pop punk scene of like 2007, 2005. I think that's well said, Jake. And and I would just push back on the the one thing that um, Tom DeLonge might not feel that way about certain lyrics, but aliens exist. He will (laughs) stand by that. That's the, that's the track. He was right about that one. So Yes, of course. All right, let's lighten things up a little bit as we, as we continue on on Riot here. Uh, there is an underlying question in Misery Business uh, worth exploring on a, on a more personal side, and it, it kind of ties into the album's second single and easily the biggest tune on side B of the album. Uh, and that question is kind of what is the actual protocol for shooting your unrequited love shot or up to this point unrequited shot, you know, in... in Misery business, she, quote, waited eight long months. Uh, but OK, how, how long do you wait after the breakup to be respectful but not miss the opportunity? Because if you hold on to that for too long, it can get a little dark as it does on Crush, Crush, Crush. Okay, Christina, that was one of the songs that I know you wanted to talk about and one of your favorites on the album. Before we dive into that song, do you have a take on how long you wait before 
you know, it, it, say the, the misery business situation and unrequited love guy and girl break up. How long do you wait before uh, making the move there? Hmm. Well, it depends on how much coffee I've had that day or how much alcohol <laughs> I've had that night. Uh, so honestly, I can't give you a straight answer there. Probably not eight months, though. I'd, I'd probably shoot my shot a little sooner than that. I think you'd have to. They'd be they'd be back off the market. True. Maybe. Exactly. Uh, okay, more to Crush, Crush, Crush. Uh, why is that uh, a favorite of yours? Why did you want to talk about that song? Well, it's really funny. Earlier, you you, you mentioned in passing the band Evanescence, and I mm-hmm. I loved the band Evanescence, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> because I was a weird little child and did not have a lot of friends. And so I remember when I heard this song for the first time, it reminded me a lot of like that darker sort of, like, like you know, it starts out with the heartbeat. And it like it's a pretty dark song especially to be one of their singles, you know, like you said, it's about what happens whenever you bottle up those feelings. And I, I really related to bottling up a lot of feelings, probably for some very like smooth, hairless boy who had not gone through puberty yet. (laughs) Smooth, hairless boy. There you go. Uh, So I think it just hit this like very fun, emotional tenor. And it's just a great song. It's just bangs. It's it's really it's it's almost hard to talk about songs uh, from this album just because there's so much of emotion from youth tied up in it that like all I can say is like yeah that song's really good and I can't get very yeah. technical about it. That's okay though. That's that's the whole point of the podcast. The only time we ever get technical is when Steve's on. Oh God. And Steve <laughs> wants to talk about like chord progressions and arrangements and stuff. Yeah, and, but no one wants to talk about that with Steve. Yeah, yeah, and I just want to. <laughs> shit post Steve on a podcast basically. <laughs> uh, I lied by the way Crush 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 was not the second single it was the third single off the album uh, Hallelujah was the second and that's what you get was the fourth so uh, Jake I want to get your take on the album structure here it's something we talk about uh, a fair amount on this podcast this is a pretty side A heavy album to me Crush 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 uh, like I kind of teed it up there is by far the biggest tune to me on side B and I would argue five of the best six or seven songs on the album are the first five and the first four are probably you know four of their their best known songs so what do you what do you think of that in general and crush crush crush's place on the album as you went back and and listened to it for the first time because it does kind of you know those first four songs kick your ass and then crush 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 is kind of uh not a standalone on the back half but it changes up the tone of the second half yeah i think it's necessary i guess is the word i agree through that i do feel like the album kind of loses steam in the second half especially after such a strong first half but i like where crush 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 is because it kind of has like there's a bit of a lull after misery business that i was like okay and then crush 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 came i was like okay now i'm back in it so i think it's well placed to sort of like bring you back into like this album's actually really fun yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I'd argue that it, it uh, I guess it tonally slows down after Mizbiz, but When It Rains is a great track. Uh, any album structure talk about Riot, of course, needs to mention that while it wasn't a single, For a Pessimist, I'm Pretty Optimistic is a tier one album opener. This is For a Pessimist, I'm Pretty Optimistic.
Christina. Very high rank in the album opener's pantheon, right? Oh, absolutely. It just starts with this huge wall of sound. And I actually think, like, all of these songs hold hold up to me on a, on a nostalgia basis. But I think this one holds up the most as, like, you could hear this on the radio now. It's super punk, especially for Paramore. It, you know, like, to me, this is a super punky song. And I think it's a super brave opening choice. And I think it really paid off. Yeah, I, I I think it's great. Um Jake, what about you? That's uh I know you're you you care deeply about album closers. I do. And I, I don't want to speak for you for Born for this, but I'd imagine you you came away more impressed with the opener than the closer here. Yeah, but like as someone who hadn't really listened to this album before and like didn't really know what to expect. I I kind of went in being like the Misery Business is the fireworks factory. And I was like, okay, let's get to Misery Business. And then this came on. I was like, what? Like, this wasn't, at, it wasn't at all what I was expecting it to sound like. And like, this is, I would say, by far my favorite song on the album. Like, I couldn't believe how good this song is. Yeah, it rules. It is, uh, I posted on my Instagram story the other day, and I try not to do that and, and tip off what albums we might be going back to, but it's just like, it's such a good song. And as I was prepping for this episode, every time I went for a walk, instead of starting where I had last left off in the album, I just started from the top every time again. <laughs> it's so good. Um, because that song, it's so that good. song kicks ass. It's also a great, like lyrically, the the whole putting your faith in someone and they blow it theme is just like very relatable. And I think sets a... I mean, not that if you're going back to to a 2007 Paramore album, you don't need to be transported into the what romance was like in your teens and early 20s. You're, <laughs> you're probably already there. Uh, but if you needed it, that that kind of gets you there. And, and I also just think that like the song title for a pessimist, I'm pretty optimistic, is kind of like an MO for people who have uh, I'll cast broadly like our taste in music where there's this natural kind of dourness to soaking in the sadness um, with the music but the reason that you feel so deeply about it or that you fight through it or that you feel deeply just as a person in general is that that tinge of optimism um, persists and I think that that song and where the album goes from there uh, holds that nicely because there is a lot of why did I put myself through this on the album but also a lot of oh that's why uh, on the album, which surely none of us can speak to. Um, so one final kind of ancillary chat around Riot and Paramore that we wanted to touch on is, and, and to me, this is kind of looped into Warp Tour because of, you know, I had a specific set of friends that I went to Warp Tour with, and those weren't the same as my regular friends who listened to a different kind of music. And, and you know, I, I would kind of sometimes feel at this time that like, I didn't quite belong to any one group because I was, you know, doing sports over here with, with this group and I, I had my punk and emo friends over here. And um, I know, Christina, that that's something that you dealt with around this time, too, with the whole, uh, you know, for me, it was jocks against drama kids against uh, e emo and punk kids uh, and kind of being split between those. And for you, it was more of kind of the punk versus prep thing at the time. Oh, definitely. I mean, I get I talked about this a little bit earlier, but this was before Spotify. So you were only really finding music through either your friends or through the radio. So it mattered so much who you were, what kind of music that you were going to discover. And, you know, I think that it's sort of interesting whenever you, whenever you think about Jake listening to this now and sort of transporting back into these like sort of clicky things that you never knew about. Like, I wonder how much that sort of teenage interpretation sort of affects your listening to this album. For sure. And Jake, I guess, you know, part of it would have been you didn't have a lot of people in your circle listen to this at the time, right? No, not at Whereas all. Whereas now I make you listen to stuff from this era <laughs> and this genre all the time. Yeah. And a lot of it I really like. But yeah, I definitely I think all of like the sort of poppy, punky, emo, Jace stuff that I was into in high school, save for like a couple, maybe more local acts. I mostly went to go to the shows alone. And I don't mean that in like a sad, like I was alone kind of way. Like it was awesome. I grew up in Toronto, so I got to see everybody all the time, but it was, I didn't really find my like pop punk crowd till my twenties. And that's the other thing is I, you know, I, 
I am from the sticks. Like I am from a very small town in in uh, East Texas. So like I didn't have access to shows or like going to work tour or anything like that. And so I think that's why Paramore is such a big band for me. It's just because like that was sort of like the limit to what you could discover on your own in a small town at mm-hmm. the time. So there's so much of an emotional connection because like from Paramore, I got to Flyleaf and like a ton of like other really cool bands like that. So but I wouldn't have ever even listened to Paramore at all if I didn't have like at least one punk friend. Like, you know, all the preppy girls would never listen to anything like this. So it's it's interesting how that sort of stradiates, you know, between friend groups. Which is funny to hear from the girl's perspective, because I had a friend who dated lots of those preppy girls and he would borrow from my taste in music to like impress them and like, hey, you might like this song. (laughs) Um, So it all it's all just a big circle and a big ecosystem. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit more. Christina, you're not alone in Paramore having been kind of a gateway for you and shaping some of your tastes. We're going to talk about how they did that more for the genre as a whole after this. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, so Riot, as Jake kind of mentioned earlier, and as we as we had talked about, um, they got lumped in a little bit. Paramore did with Avril Lavigne and Kelly Clarkson. Um, some critics seem to understand it or at least concede that it was, quote, very good power pop. Uh, overall, it received mixed to positive reviews. Uh, it's looked at much more favorably in retrospect, of course. It's number 10 modern classic on rock sound. Uh, they also have it as the number 16 most essential pop punk album. Uh, they were on a bunch of other uh, backward looking lists like that. And despite the mixed reviews, it did well commercially. It peaked at number 15 on the Billboard chart. It eventually went double platinum. They did Warp Tour again. And then, because I haven't mentioned this band in three or four episodes, they co-headlined a tour with the starting line, Jake. Wow, that's a big show for you in retrospect. <laughs> a big show for me. We're, we're going to get the starting line are even like re-releasing sessions of their old music lately. We're, we're going to get there. Man. Oh, my God. Oh, I know. I know. We Not will. a starting line fan, Christina? Uh, no, I don't have enough uh, like Y chromosomes. So, yeah, fair. But, you know, you don't. I guess you don't have this. Maybe I just the the quietly thinking I'm smarter than everyone and I'm so clever. Lyricism is, uh, you know, what's what's really missing from this podcast is <laughs> lyrics of, of dudes who thought they were more clever than everyone else. Just wait till you um, December Decemberist part two. Oh god! Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, the uh, the literary degree albums. Um, all right, so uh, Paramore continued on. They did Brand New Eyes in 2009, and then they released the self-titled in 2013 after a, a bit of a long break there. Uh, Paramore, the self-titled in 2013, was a very big We Can Still Do Pop Punk Bangers uh, reminder album highlighted by Christina, one of your favorites. This song, Still Into You.
uh, Jake, that was part of your listening homework. Did you? Yes. How do you how do you find that song versus the songs on Riot? Um, so my listening homework for those who aren't in me and Blake's DMs uh, was this song <laughs> and uh, Hard Times off yeah. After Laughter. And uh, I didn't love this one, I'll admit, but uh, I am very intrigued by Hard Times. And I'm going to listen to that album this week because I think that song's dope. Gotta say, as much as I've enjoyed having Christina on and as much as I appreciate her in general, the picking a self-titled song as the... Uh, post riot <laughs> song instead of an after laughter one was very difficult for me but christina you love still into you yeah it's okay isn't it like their most popular song ever so like i am not alone here <laughs> you're not i just i really like after laughter but like it's your core, podcast we can talk about you after- wanted no 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 Blake no. has been talking to me about after laughter for like four years that's why i thought it was the same cover as riot because i was like oh it must be that one no uh unfortunately um, you know, we defer to, to guests here. Like I said, <laughs> at, at my core, I'm a simp, Christina. And um, <laughs> do you do you want to do you want to explain the reasoning for still into you that you used in the in the email to me? Or do you want to frame it differently? Well, I don't remember what I said in the email because I don't remember anything that I say after I say it. Um, but number one, it's just a really good song. It starts out with that same wall of sound that they like to do. And I think it really shows sort of their fun evolution to a little bit more of a poppy sound like you can hear the production on it i don't know she sounds like she's having a lot of fun in it and i really like this is gonna sound stupid but i really like the message i think it's a sweet little song (laughs) um i listen to it a lot when i work out i think that's why i have so many positive uh associations with it but i have to say i have actually never listened to after laughter and now i feel like i have to go listen to after laughter you you want to talk about a killer workout album it's it's like all of the Haley stuff that you like from paramore but to like more up-tempo synth pop it's it's a great workout album now i know what i'm doing after this podcast there you go. Uh, they also they also play still into you really early in the set list. And, and I actually think the last time I saw them, they played grudges as an opener. But I actually think still into you would be just an awesome album opener. And, and to kind of bookend this post riot discussion, they at least when they were touring after laughter, they closed with hard times. Uh, so can't go wrong either way. Still into you and hard. To, if you're if you're one of the first songs in the set and you're the closer, you're doing pretty well, right? So in addition to uh, After Laughter, Haley has continued on to do some uh, solo work. She's released Petals for Armor and Flowers for Vases as a solo act. Moodier, definitely a different sound. I'm into them. I, I, I dig them. Uh, but if those aren't for you, she has also said that Paramore will have a sixth album sometime in the near future. Uh, and she has teased that it is a return to their pop punk Ooh. roots. Uh, Christina, where is our expectation level for 2021 Paramore back to the self-titled sound instead of the after laughter sound. Well, I know that we're not supposed to have expectations of anyone right now because it's a pandemic, but she has nothing else to do besides make a banger album <laughs> for us. So I, my expectations are pretty fucking high. Yeah. Look, I'm not, I'm not purchasing good die young hair care products unless that album rips. And and then you've got my purchase for the album and all the hair dye to, to go back to my pop punk days. Haley. I, I was sort of surprised that she is coming out with another album because I really thought she had pivoted totally to doing the hair dye stuff because that's like really her brand now. She's actually super funny on TikTok as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah, you guys should check her out uh, on there. I don't have that because I'm an old dude. Well, get with it. (sighs) If Haley Williams can do it, Um, you can do it too. Yes, that's true. Uh, Age appropriate. As a, I was worried, like with the when I went into this, I forgot how old Haley was. And I was like, is it going to be weird that I say <laughs> that she was like the first person I had a huge, huge crush on? Um, and then, no, she's age appropriate for me. So that's it's good to know. I'm glad I double checked, though. Always good. OK, so, yeah. Um, so in addition to obviously ha- having this big influence on, on people like us, Christina, uh, with our music tastes and kind of, you know, what what it opened up in the genre, you know, Haley herself had a pretty big impact on other female singers and female punk artists that came through. You know, again, this goes back to the earlier conversation about Warped Tour's lack of inclusivity and representation originally. Um, Katy Perry is someone who's credited Haley Williams as one of the uh, strong leaders kind of paving the way for for women in the scene. And then you hear people like um, Snail Mail, Grimes, Soccer Mommy, people across uh, a lot of different genres as well point 
point to Haley, you know, as far as like Lil Uzi Vert and Princess Nokia, like there's there is a wide ranging Paramore influence here. Um, and none of the three of us can speak to this, but I've seen plenty of tweets over time about how Paramore is really, really popular among like uh, non-white groups as well. People of color and, and then obviously the LGBTQ plus community as well, um, given Haley's earlier comments. So I'm not sure what it is exactly about Paramore that that kind of just it pushes past all like demographic boundaries, uh, but their influence has been been pretty wide. If you're if you're checking off Grimes, Soccer Mommy and Lil Uzi Vert, you've uh, you've had a wide net. Christina, who are who are some of the other bands that you, I guess, would credit to, you know, enjoying Paramore and that kind of got you into um, some other bands trickle down from there? Well, you know, it's interesting that you talk about sort of, you know, who have inherited the mantle, I guess, from Paramore, because it's so interesting that like Paramore was a super produced band. You know what I mean? Like they were signed Mm -hmm. with like a big record label. And yet she was still managed to inspire all of these more DIY, like, you know, bands don't really happen like Paramore anymore. They sort of have to prove themselves uh, in social media following before they can get anyone to sign them anyway. So coming off of Paramore here, let me, I'm looking at Paramore's like Spotify just to see who I got into from them. So Paramore was the first sort of pop punk band that I listened to from them. I got into Fall Out Boy, My Chemical Romance, just all that stuff. Flyleaf, I've already talked about them. Uh, And I've obviously sort of, my music tastes have gone a little bit differently since then. But I still listen to a ton of punk music, and that's because of Paramore. That's great. And and Jake obviously is a huge Lil Uzi Vert fan, so uh, that is a, a natural progression for him as well. Uh, a joke, Jake. You got into Lil Peep and Juice World enough. I think you'd you'd be fine with Lil Uzi Vert. Yeah, it was it's fine. I don't think it's anything I'm listening to on my day to day, but it's fine. It's now the time in the episode where Christina, we have to pick one of the songs that we talked about from today uh, for the Columbia House Party mixtape. I guess normally we do a, a favorite songs off the album uh, too. If you if you want to give us maybe uh, your top three off the album, if you can pick them. So I think I think we're probably all in agreement that the song is for a pessimist. I'm pretty optimistic, right? Like that's like I I think it's that's the one that I would pick. But uh, other than that, I put Crush Crush Crust as second, and then Misery Business third. Yeah, I uh, Jake, I'll open it to you here because you have fresher eyes on this. But um, any disagreement with with pessimist at number one? No, not at all. That'd be my exact uh, order as well, actually. Yeah, I think I'd have uh, Ms. Biz a slot higher, but Pessimist was my number one as well. So uh, unanimous. Sometimes we have to concede to the guests here, but unanimous. For Pessimist, I'm pretty optimistic. Hitting that Columbia House Party uh, mixtape. And Christina, thank you so much for coming on. This was wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. It was so fun to talk some uh, more with you guys. Awesome. Um, Guys, you should give Christina a follow. Floozy Esquire on Twitter. Christina is one of the very best followers on Twitter if you are a fan of, uh, especially if you're a fan of music, but also if you're a fan of hockey. Uh, So Christina, thank you so much once again. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? 
they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.